Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. It's just, we have to keep going forward. We cannot ever go backwards. We can't live in the fear. We can't live in the, the, the anxiety of what if. We have to move. We have to jump over that and say, no, it's not a what if anymore. It's now what, you know, it's, she fell in the pool. Now she knows how to save herself. We are hyper vigilant of water safety. And- Hello, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, I have Aaliyah Preston, who is a mom of four who just experienced a very traumatic experience in her life um, that I wanted her to come on the show today to talk to everybody about it um, because I, I I followed her her story um, of what happened recently in her family's life, um, and I was just so touched by it, so inspired um, by the whole experience. And you know, I say inspired loosely because how can you be inspired by someone else's um, heartache? Um, that's really hard hard to do. But what I'm inspired with is um, the the miracle that came out of the trauma that she experienced. And um, I, I think it's such an a, important story to share. So Aaliyah, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, honestly. <laughs> yes, of course. Well, um, to give everyone a, a background, everyone, everyone who's listening a little bit of background, Aliyah and I met, um, I think back in 2016, I guess is when I think yeah. we first met in person. Yeah, I think we probably were Instagram friends, maybe even before that, mm-hmm. but we, we officially met for the first time in 2016 and um, became friends. And when she lived in San Diego, we hung out a few times and it was really fun. Um, and then she moved to Arizona and she's been there uh, for quite some time. And when she lived here and we were local, um, she had two little boys. Um, and since then, since she's moved, she's um, now added two more children, um, a, a little girl and another little boy um, who's, how, how many months now is your, your youngest? He's nine months now. Nine months. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Um, so Leah and I haven't seen each other in a couple years. But of course, you know, you follow each other online. You you know, when you strike a friendship with someone, um, you you kind of just stay friends forever. And you could, you know, not see their posts for a couple months and then catch up a little bit. And um, it's it, it just goes on and on. But um, but Leah, you just experienced something um, pretty, pretty traumatic. And, um, right now it's, um, water safety month. And so I thought just, it was a good time to, to share your experience, um, with others and other moms and parents that are who, li- who are listening, um, to just, to me, the, the, we talked a little, a little earlier about strength and hope, um, you know, miracles, um, things like that. And even just, knowing what you went through and knowing what they can do to keep their kids safe in the future as well. Right. So, um, so I'd love for you, if you just want to start just sharing with everyone, you know, what your, you know, why we're here, (laughs) what your story is. I know, um, during spring break, you came out to San Diego, 
um, and you were staying with in-laws, I believe. And yeah. um, you went to Target, actually. You were at Target, I yeah. think. And, and then you got a phone call and your whole world changed. Um, if you could yeah. share with yeah. us what, what that was like at the very beginning when you were at Target and then just kind of take it from there. Oh, that's a day I'll never forget. It's going to live with you. Um, so I was just leaving Target. My mother-in-law and I were there probably for about 40 minutes. And um, we, had, we were in the parking lot ordering food for everyone at the house. And my husband was home with our four children. And then um, his sister showed up because her older son uh, broke his arm. And we needed someone to watch the younger boy, who's my boy's age, the, the two oldest. So he's home with all the kids and he just, I get a phone call and, you know, you don't, I didn't hear emergency in the very beginning. I just heard him say, um, he sounded very out of breath. He's like, Mia fell in the pool. And my first thought was, you know, like, oh great, she's probably crying and wet, you know, like I'm not thinking she fell in the pool and drowned, you know? Um, right. And he said, no, she's, she's not breathing. She's, a, she's going to the hospital. It's just like pieces of words. And then it's like, when you hear not breathing, that's when I screamed in the phone, like, you know, like, what, what are you talking about? And so he said, just go to the hospital. Um, and so we were closer to the hospital than the ambulance actually was. So we got to the hospital right up the street before Mia's ambulance arrived. And um, I have no idea what to expect. I'm thinking that she's going to be awake. She's going to be crying, screaming for mommy. I'm like prepared just for something. You know, your, your, your brain's trying to work through nothing, no knowledge. Just you go worst case and best case scenario. And um when she, right. she arrived, they brought me right back into her room. And that's where it was like the most upsetting, it was surreal, just mother, every, every parent's worst nightmare. Um, she, she didn't have her pants on or her diaper on. And there's all these first responders and doctors and um, emergency crew working on her and doing CPR, like actual CPR and pumping her and putting needles in her legs. Like it just, it felt like a scene of Grey's Anatomy. And I was very confused why they put me in that room. Like, right. why would you bring me back here watching like this tragedy unfold where I could be like a hindrance? That's what I thought. Like, why would they bring me here where I could start screaming or crying and disrupt them? You know, right. they're working on my daughter. And, um, you know, we, we understood that concept looking back afterwards because, you know, as, I have zero to little education on what the leading cause of death is for children. And according to the CDC, drowning is the number one cause of death between one to four years old. And then from four to seven years old, it's the second cause of death. Wow. And so that just seems astronomical that that's like not the forefront of our mind with now, you know, all all these viruses going around and, and vaccine shots and things that we do, we're just constantly given so much information, but we're never told like the number one cause of your child's death potentially could be drowning. And right. never knew that, never knew that statistic. And looking back, the reason they allowed me to be in that room was I think they weren't sure she was going to make it because when my husband found my daughter, uh, he immediately started administering CPR to her, which he got certified when he's 15 years old. He did Boy Scouts. They do their little merit badges with CPR. And then he got officially certified when he was 15 with his mom on some like random errand. She just dragged him to it. They went up to Escondido and got certified. He got certified. And he's, he remembered that knowledge when he pulled her out of the pool. And then wow. we had 
the first responders working on her and then at the hospital. And so for almost 20 minutes, over 20 minutes, actually, she had CPR administered and um, the really and more. And you said she, did, she didn't have a heartbeat at that time, right? No, no, she oh, didn't. Gosh. So when I arrived to the hospital, you know, there's someone there that will communicate with you. And I, you know, I'm, I'm watching them and I asked, you know, does she have a, is she have a heartbeat yet? Is she breathing? She doesn't have a heartbeat. They're working on her breathing. Um, she'd been intubated and I kind of went through a, that moment where I like hit and I left the room and was like having a real panic attack. And this really tall, um, sheriff was there on scene who we later found out actually drove the ambulance because Poway is a really tiny town and they had two fire departments show up. One had an ambulance, one didn't workers from both stations drove, got into the truck into the ambulance and then the sheriff, they needed someone to drive. They didn't want to let go of Mia. They didn't want to lose anyone to continue working on her. And so the sheriff hopped in and drove the ambulance to the hospital for them. And he was the one that like, you know, kind of gave me that really, like he calmed me down. He was hugging and hugging and holding me because I think that was the moment that I was going to lose all ability to function. And it was like right after that, that somebody like a doctor came and said, we got her heart beating and she's breathing. And so she started to stabilize, but she wasn't Mm -hmm. awake. She was completely unconscious, um, but moving. So it was really weird. I was just in this moment where I'm waiting for her to wake up and start crying. um, And she wasn't, I mean, and I, I documented all this through my Instagram, which, um, you know, you can see like every thought and, and, and moment that I had, I just kind of documented as quickly as I could just to remember all the small details. And that's when like Nick was able, my husband was able to show up and like all our, our family members were there. We weren't really sure what the next process was going to be with her. Um, and they got her stabilized enough and then kind of put her in a little bit of a medically induced coma because she started to make movements that were similar to what a seizure looks like. And mm-hmm. we were like, okay, you know, we're, you have zero concept as a, you, unless you've experienced this, you have no idea that that's, that's a red flag. A seizure could be 500 mm-hmm. million things. Um, sure. And they got her stable and we kind of were all calmed down and they um, transported her to Children Radio Hospital over in downtown San Diego. Right. And then, right, which is a phenomenal hospital. So, I mean, you were definitely yes. in good hands there. Oh I my mean, gosh. Yeah, they're just such a great hospital. Now, before we move on, let's go back a little bit because I know people probably listening at home, and I know some of the answers to this, but I want you to share, um, you know, how it happened. I think people oh, yeah. oh, yeah. want to know. <laughs> How, you know, how they can keep their kids safe, you know, because we do all the things, you know, we, we maybe put some nets up around our pool or we, mm-hmm. you know, some kids, you know, have floaties. Some kids take lessons at, a, you know, at a very early age. Sometimes you have a, a lock on the door or whatever it is. Um, and some things just aren't foolproof, right? I mean, sometimes right. there's things that fall through the cracks. So I think, you know, right now, I think even when I first started hearing what was going on, I thought, oh my goodness, like how, how did this even happen? So will you share a little bit of the backstory on how she actually fell into the pool and because it can take from what I understand and you probably know this better than me statistically but it can take less than 10 seconds for a child to drown in a pool so um, it's quick right I mean it can happen in the blink of an eye I mean you can have 10 adults standing around the pool but if you know and and sometimes when when a child's drowning you can't even tell because it's so silent they're not screaming Mm -hmm. for help Mm -hmm. most of the time you know waving their arms around you know, saying I'm drowning, mm-hmm. you know, usually they're, they're just very silent and it almost looks like they're playing 
And then Mm -hmm. next thing you know is they're under the water and they're not breathing. So um, it happens very, very quickly. But if you would share a little bit about how how she fell in, you know, what happened, um, I I think it'd be um, great because I'm sure there's lots of people out there listening that are wanting to have the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I left, my husband was with all the kids and his, his mother in his house he grew up in. And, uh, there's a lot of doors in the house, but they're all extremely locked, except the kitchen door is the only door that we are allowed to access the backyard through, but there's a lock on it. And then at the top, there's an alarm lock, meaning in order to get out of the door, you hold the handle down and then you have to press this button at the top. If you don't mm. press the button and you open the door, this really loud blaring alarm goes off. It scares <clears throat> it scares all the kids. You can hear it through the entire house. It even scares me. Like we hate this alarm. Oh but yeah. It's, it's a great way of notifying, you know. It's that's that's pretty much the only security they have around their pool. They don't have a fence, they don't have a net, they don't have a cover. Uh they don't have like a gate that goes that cuts off any part of the backyard. So once you open that door and you get out, you have free range to the whole backyard. Um and unfortunately, the battery in that alarm had died. And so Mia can oh easily she's two and she's extremely smart and inquisitive. She knows how to just turn a knob and pull the handle down and it was unlocked. Or it was locked and she unlocked it and no alarm blared. And so she shut the door and walked outside and um, they have the, the hot tub connects to the pool and she, and there's like a little water feature and that's where the kids typically go first because it's an inch of water. They walk through it, they can touch it. And we really believe that she, she took her pants off and her diaper and they were sitting right at the pool. And I think she was walking through it and she might, have just kind of gotten a little more courageous and maybe was trying to put her feet in the pool or she slipped. And um, because she never has ever in her life just gone into a pool. She's never been that courageous. And also the water was extremely cold that day. It was a cold week in San Diego. Um, And um, the, the little inch of water would be obviously warmer than the pool water. And so that's what we think happened. We could be totally wrong. Um, right. But, and there's no cameras out there to see. So you only can guess, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so when you talk about water safety, that was kind of one of the things that we had, you know, it's been an open discussion with his family is like, we, you need, it's not just one measure, it's five. You know, if you have a gate around your pool, have tried to have secure, like, uh, you know, doorbell ring doorbells or the cameras or some sort of surveillance. Um, and then the alarms on the door, even if you have a gate, that's, that's just one measure, right? And if there was multiple measures put in place to stop this from happening, I don't think she would have fallen in the pool. But when one of those is weakened, then it opens, there's the accident. So like if you have a gate around your pool, but the door was open on accident, there's there's the prevention loss right there. Right, um, exactly. And I know since then, I know we're skipping around a little bit, but I know since then, since you've been back home, um, you have uh, now enrolled her in some swim lessons too, right? Yes. Yeah. So that was a, an, another unfortunate thing that happened to me was, you know, Arizona, we were swimming and outside in the water like 70% of the year compared to other states. It's so warm and our kids, we go to the pool all the time. And I had talked to somebody who told me, don't pay for ISR unless you have a pool because they forget these swim techniques. Right. Mm. And I thought, Oh, that makes sense. You know, because it's survival. And if you're only in the pool a couple of times and you're with your kids, like, why would you invest all this money? 
absolutely not. That was such an unfortunate thing to be told to me to persuade me from enrolling Mia the year before um, mm. to get her an ISR because I had so many friends doing it and I just thought that it seemed so important and I was having another baby and my boys didn't get involved. And I thought I just, I felt prompted at the time to do it and got swayed otherwise. Um, and money, you know, financial, it's like, that's a big investment. It's about six sure. $700 to do it. Um, right. But now that she's enrolled and now our nine month old's en- enrolled, what I'm watching and the, the unbelievable talent of these instructors and the whole system that they the, that they do is it's life-saving and um you know it would have absolutely prevented her from drowning if she had gotten in the water and realized oh by there's this too deep I wasn't prepared she would have known and how to flip on her back and kind of float or also pull herself to the side to get out of the pool um, because she's old enough to do that and she this exactly would have been prevented so it's not just gates and pools uh, you know alarms and surveillance it's also you know, teaching our children survival swimming, it can be taught at six months old. And it's not something forgotten. It's just something that needs to be um, kind of refreshed on, you know, like you don't yes. go swimming for, for a year, you kind of forgot until you start doing it again, right? And my husband re- was certified at CPR at 15. And that came back to him and he remembered at 41 years old. So Absolutely. I can only imagine a two-year-old learning ISR and then a year later she's gonna know I got at at least half of it right there's it's just right like almost your body just knows in that adrenaline state what to do right and and I know there's other swim schools out there too that even start some of them are more mommy and me but still um they're learning how to go underwater and hold their breath and things like that and even at four months old so Mm -hmm. um there's definitely options out there I know my kids have done both the the survival swim lessons and they've done you know just regular swim lessons you know that that um you know, to learn skills and, in you know, different forms and things like that. But, um, but so important. So I'm so glad, you know, mm-hmm. that even your nine month old is in, in it now. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like what they say, like riding a bike, you know, it, like you said, like some of those skills just stay with you. Um, mm-hmm. especially if you're in that, um, kind of like acute stress type state, which now going back, let's circle back to when you're at the hospital. And, um, I don't know if you, if you feel comfortable sharing this, but, I know you had mentioned um, in one of your posts that you were in the hospital and I think you were in the bathroom and I think you were starting to have, like any parent would, you know, any mom would when their child is, you know, just had lost their heartbeat for about 20 minutes. Um, They're in an induced coma and they're feeling pretty hopeless and pretty helpless, I'm sure, at that point. Um, And you're in that acute stress state. So like you said, you have to write things down because you're going to forget them because you're in a state of trauma. Um, but you were in the bathroom and I think you heard something about a code black or a code red or something like that. Yeah. You can share with me. I forget. Um, and in that moment, you you just kind of knew that was a sign uh, from God, really, but a sign that that was that things were going to be OK. Will you take us back to that moment? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when we got to Rady, they did an initial CT scan, which they said showed nothing. But they're like, but very clear. She's had CPR administered for 20 minutes or over 20 minutes. And that is a they're like, that's kind of in the red area. They had major concerns and they wouldn't know anything about brain damage or loss of oxygen until an MRI, MRI was done. And they said, we can't do that for a couple of days until she was healed. She had a lot of fluid in her lung. And so we're just kind of in this conference room and in an awaiting area, waiting for them to get her um, like fully admitted to the ICU. And I 
like went to the bathroom and I remember walking in and feeling like, wow, this is the cleanest bathroom. It just felt really white and clean and like clear. And it was like this moment where I just kind of like fell, like I just was holding on to the countertop and, you know, that was like my first heartfelt prayer, you know, where I could be alone with myself, alone with my thoughts. Um, you know, you, you immediately start praying when tragedy happens. You just say these prayers in your heart or your, you know, whatever faith you are, you just, it's like your body instinctively just to start calling out. And yeah. when I was in the bathroom, I'm, I'm like being so on earnest, like almost mad at God. And I'm like, you have to tell me that this, she's going to be okay. I need you to know. I need you to tell me, give me some sort of sign, you know, and I'm crying and, and kind of saying those, those types of words and out loud too. And I remember I was about to like say, you know, please let me know you hear me. That's what I said. Like, you have to let me know that you can hear me right now. And then over the intercom of the entire hospital, it just said all clear. It was like instant. It was like wow. I was waiting and like walking around. It was like the second I said that it said, you know, that it said all clear and then code gray, all clear, this really calm voice. And I just kind of like popped up and was like pointing my finger up and was like, you know, it was like this weird where I'm uh, this sobbing mess. And then it was my body just was like, that's it. Okay, you heard me. All right, here we go. We can continue. I know you heard me. There's nothing more I can do here. And yes, I remember kind of composing myself and walking back into the room and with my husband and we were waiting to go back into uh, Mia's ICU room and it was just at that moment, I felt like, okay, I can handle this. It wasn't, I, I wasn't going to be able to do this because there were so many unknowns. And then when we got back into her IC room, ICU room, I know plenty of parents who've had babies in NICU and then children who've experienced being in the PICU, but we, I've never in my life. And I'll tell you this right now, there's something, uh, you can call it spiritual, magical, you know, celestial, the as soon as you can walk through those doors and then you walk into that child's room, it's like this presence that is unexplainable. I felt like I would walk through a veil every time I walked through her room. Like I would leave the, I had to leave the hospital every night to go home to, I was still nursing wells, you know, taking care right. of her baby. And I needed to get sleep. It was really traumatizing for my husband to sleep on a concrete floor. I can't, you know, I wouldn't have slept. I would have just stayed there waiting for any right. movement from her. And sure. I would leave the, I was, as soon as I would leave the hotel, I'd be on the way home or the hospital. I would just feel sick. It was just this full body feeling. And it would feel that way until I walked back into the, the hospital, into her room. And I almost, you lose track of time. Like 12 hours would feel like an hour there. It was like, you didn't want to, you didn't need to eat. It was just this amazing feeling. And I have talked to plenty of parents who experienced the same thing. And um, it's kind of like this little protection bubble because imagine being in the midst of pure tragedy and like your your hunger strikes and your headache strikes and your thirst strikes you know and you're trying to take care of yourself but you can't and then you just can't see clearly and and every time we were in that room it was just so clear that we were able oh, to yeah. be there even with her and the, the staff everyone there they're just it's just amazing to have experienced that and that was a huge comfort for us to be in the presence of just people who or tr just their whole goal was just to save your child, you know, oh, sure. and that's all they want to do. No matter what race, religion, background, who this person is, they don't care. They're just there to 
save your child. And every single one of those rooms are doing the same thing. And um, absolutely. And I can't imagine, you know, you, we talked about this a little bit early before we started recording, but you know, you being in that room, not knowing what's next, you know, your child is, is in a coma. They're not sure, you know, what the next step is. You know, you're waiting for results for certain tests. There's fluid in her lungs. There could be brain damage. Is she going to wake up? I mean, I'm sure all those, is she going to make it? You know, um, all those thoughts I'm sure were going through your mind. And yet at the same time, you have to go home, you know, and nurse your youngest. Um, you have two older boys that were, I'm sure, had a ton of questions. Um, you know, they're all asking how she's doing. And, and, and you kind of almost have to... Maybe maybe don't have to, but I think there's some pressure. I feel like on 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 moms specifically, um, to to feel like they have it all together. You know, to feel like they're the, the they're holding the family together. That they're the strength of the family, and that you want to be strong for your for all three of your boys that were at home. You still need to be mom to them, right? Because they don't really <clears throat> quite maybe understand what's happening. They, they they weren't there to see her. They weren't there to 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 see all the things that are happening to her. Um, so you have to be this mom who is strong and keeping it together and feeding them and, you know, still taking care of them to some extent. And then you go back to the hospital and then you're in this, like, you know, like you said, this, this, this warp, if you will, this, um, time warp, this, you know, life warp. Um, what was that like? And, you know, I, I know earlier we talked about how I said, I, I watched you through this and, you know, for what you shared. And I felt like, wow, she is so strong. Like, I, I can't imagine going through this. You said a, a parent's worst nightmare going through this and it, you just handled it with such strength and grace. And then you said to me that, you know, that may not be the case. So will you share a little bit more about that and what that was like? Yeah. I mean, your, your body goes into fight or flight for sure in situations. And as moms, we're really pretty prone to that. You know, you go and fight or flight every time you birth a child. Okay, we got to fight this. You can't back out now. And I very quickly recognized I was in fight the whole time and like miraculously handling it pretty well. The first night was absolutely the hardest night when I had to leave her. I mean, she got admitted into Rady's about three o'clock in the afternoon. And then I came home around 730. So there was just this small window of time that I was with her to process. And then I had to go home and, and worry about the middle. The, that first night was absolutely the worst. I didn't sleep. I cried. I felt like I was going to die. I just, I remember texting my husband. My jaw had hurt so bad because your, your body clenches and my shoulders. And I could feel like my arms, I told him my arms ache for Mia, but it was just my body was trying to rest and everything ached so bad. And my dad the next day had, you know, he's driving me to the back to the hospital and saying, you know, like, it's going to be okay. And I said, yeah, I know it's going to be okay too. Even if she dies, we just will, what, what's, we're all going to be okay. Right. That's, this happens a million times a day, but I won't be okay. I told him that I don't, I cannot come back from this. And he says, you, well, you have your other children. I said, I know, but I can't, I can't be without all four of my children. And I don't fathom and can't understand how any other mother who's lost a child. And I know plenty of moms who've reached out to me and been strength to me during this that actually lose, lost their children to drowning and how they function every day. Those are the strong ones. I, I won the lottery in this situation with little miracle Mia, right? Like every day I cannot fathom that she's still here because statistically she should not be alive or she would have had severe 
brain damage that she wouldn't be a functioning human. And right. it's a really morbid thought, but I think every mother can understand this, that if I don't have all my children, I don't want any of them, you know, meaning mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be on the other side because that thought and that loss is too great to bear. And not that I would, it's not condoning any other behavior. It's just those thoughts. It's just like that. And then your flight kicks in and you're like, okay, I, I, I got to keep going, you know, and you, I have these four beautiful boys at home who are completely unaware of the tragedy. They understand, but they're not affected and they're happy and you, they kind of fill up your little tank where you feel like you can keep going the next day. But we also just had this immense amount of hope for Mia that just kept us going. And I, I know that's, and in all these situations, that's what they live through until they're given no more hope. Right. Right. And again, unless you've been through something like that, as, as tragic as that, I, I don't, you, you can have empathy for someone who's gone through it. You can feel, I mean, there, there was a time I was watching one of your stories and I'm not going to lie. I started crying. Um, I was laying in bed one night, late at night, and I was catching up on, on some of your story um, that you were posting and um, and I just started crying and I just started praying and I just said, I don't, I, I just want to pray for this little girl. I want to pray for her family. Um, it just, it, it's so heartbreaking. And even if you're not there and you haven't experienced it, you can still feel it. And I definitely felt it. Um, especially when you were waiting for results, especially when there was a little bit of a kickback, like she, it looked like she was doing better, but then she wasn't, you know, and there was just that back and forth and you're wondering, gosh, what is going to happen? And, um, and it was, it was hard, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so it it was hard for me and I'm laying in bed crying and I'm not even there. Um, I can't even imagine what it's like for you and, or for, like you said, the other moms out there that may have actually been on the other side and and lost their child, um, to drowning and, you know, didn't come out the other side like yours did. So, um, so let's, let's just go back real quick. I know we're, um, starting to get out of uh, losing time here. I have so much more I want to ask you, but, um, so so Mia, at this moment, she's she's in a she's in a coma. She was in a medically induced yeah. coma. And how long was she in the coma for? And and, and kind of what was the back and forth on that before she before she woke up? Um, Friday she was induced, and then Sunday she was healthy enough to be transported to do her MRI. And that's where the miracle came, where her MRI had no signs of oxygen lost, no signs of stroke, and no signs of damage, which that was, I mean, when the doctor came in to give us the news, she was just, you could see how elated she was. They don't get to give in, you know, results like that very often. And just, they couldn't believe that there was just nothing. Like she had the same brain that she had before the accident, which is really unheard of, especially because we had no idea how long she was in the water, um, how long, you know, she went without oxygen, but that the the biggest factor was we had a time count of 20 minutes of CPR. So from the second my husband started until they got her heart beating, it was like 21.2 minutes. It's just, that's an incredibly long time on anybody, but for a two-year-old and to suffer no brain damage. Um, And so she, then when they had that results, what they start to do is they kind of switch over to get her off all of these medications, but she got sick. So she had a couple little viruses and her lungs weren't really healing in enough time. Um, so she was in ICU for seven days and, um, it was like the sixth day was when they got her off and they allowed her to wake up. And even then we had a brain surgeon come in and say, 
you know, that MRI is great, but he's like, the brain does funny things and she might not remember you or she might not remember this, or it might take a long time for her to develop. You know, there was just all these, it was like, we were given this great, like, here you go. She's good. And then oh, maybe not. And then when she woke mm-hmm. up, she just defied all odds. She immediately started talking and uh, she recognized Nick and I, and there was just, it was like, she just needed to continue healing. And she walked out of that hospital miraculously you know she walked out talking and doing all the things that she normally would well i mean it's truly a miracle right i mean just like you said she beat every single statistic every single odd um which i mean is is phenomenal like i mean my heart couldn't be happier for you and and her and it's just it's it's amazing when you see what she went through and then even after when she was waking up um cuz i know they they give uh, i think you said fentanyl and some other things and she was having yeah. a little bit of a reaction to yeah. that as well right mm-hmm. she had a she had a lot of withdrawals from that and so that took a while to get her completely off but even then when we got her home Um, I, that was probably the hardest part for me when I got home. That's when the post acute stress, like just hit me like a ton of bricks. My body was like, Oh, you're home and you're in your safe place. Boom here. You can feel it all. And I got really worried that I was going to have PTSD. I couldn't function and it took a couple of days for me. But on top of that, Mia's personality, she just was despondent and just really quiet she didn't like going to sleep. She kept saying things like it's dark outside when it was bright and it's raining and it wasn't raining. And, mm. you know, she would recount, I fell in Nana's pool and, um, you know, she was saying things that got us really worried that maybe she's going to s- suffer from severe trauma. But, you know, it just took time for all of us to just breathe, to be home, to get back into our routines. And, you know, if you see Mia today, you would never in a million years know that that girl fell into a pool and drowned and was out without oxygen for 20 minutes, for sure. Wow. I mean, again, a a true miracle. And that doesn't surprise me. Obviously, you know, you and I do for a living and you know, as a, as a licensed, um, you know, therapist, you know, that doesn't surprise me because like you said, you were in flight or fight for so long and you were in that adrenaline state for, you know, seven plus days. And then finally you get home, like you said, you're in your safe spot and that's when it hit you, um, which is very natural, very normal to be in that stage and in that state. And I remember you posting a picture of you just laying on the kitchen floor and I, I just wanted to come. I wanted to drive to Arizona and just, you know, hug you and, you know, you know, help you and just, you know, tell you everything was going to be okay. Even at that point, you know, everything was okay at that point, but everything was going to continue to be okay. And I remember even sharing with you, if you're okay with um, me sharing this, um, I remember you saying that you were concerned about Mia talking about the pool and how aware she was of her actually falling into the pool and that that, you know, might uh, might have been concerning. And mm-hmm. I remember just kind of giving you some unsolicited advice yeah. <laughs> online and just said, that's actually a great thing for a two-year-old. Yeah. For a two-year-old, she is such a smart little girl for a two-year-old to actually be cognizant and coherent about what happened is be able to articulate that verbally was a huge sign of starting to um, recover, I suppose is the best word. And I remember sharing with you that as a play therapist, that some of the kids I see that have gone through a traumatic experience like Mia did, um, that I that I wanted you to be prepared in case mm-hmm. she was, let's say, in the pool or in a bathtub and she was mm-hmm. drowning her, her dolls, you know, yes, or stuffed yes. animals. You know, because that's something typically that kids do because they use 
play is a way to to heal and to mm-hmm. and so I said you know don't don't be surprised if she starts drowning her her babies in the water don't stop her either if she starts drowning some of her her dolls or her stuffed animals or whatnot in the, in the bath um, let her do that because that's actually her healing that's her making yeah. sense of what happened you know and yeah. you know and then healing coming out the other side from it so um you know, I think that's phenomenal. And, you know, I've seen pictures of her since. And, uh, you know, Mother's Day was yesterday. I know you shared, you were, if you would share that real quick, the, when you were ironing your, your, you had beautiful matching dresses for Mother's Day yesterday. Um, But would you share that moment that it kind of hit you again and and things will continue to hit you, you know, but it does, it hits, it hits out often. Even my, my dad, who's incredibly close with, with Mia, they just have a really cute bond and he'll just every time he comes over he just like you can hear his breath change and he just can't believe it he's like I just can't believe she's here but I have these moments where I'll think what would my day be like if she wasn't here you know and then I'm like don't think about that but yesterday was mother's day and I'm I was ironing and steaming her dress and I kind of like got really emotional and my husband's like what's wrong and I said I what a terrible day today would be if I couldn't be here. I'm just thinking like how fortunate I am that I'm just steaming her dress. I will forever steam her dresses and I get to match with her. And I just, today would the worst day of my life if I didn't have her here. And I just, my heart aches for every mother who's lost a child in any circumstance. I've suffered many, at least three miscarriages. And then being so close to something like this, I definitely have a clear understanding of just, but I not actually lost my child and had to put one in the ground. And I just, I feel like the survivor guilt all the time. Like why me? Because I don't feel adequate enough. I don't feel like a great enough mother. You know, I just feel like we've been granted such mercy and, and this gift that we we constantly say like, we can't squander this miracle. So it's definitely made me, you know, my dad keeps telling me the best thing you can do to pay it forward to anyone who's helped you in this situation, who's prayed for you, who's, you know, donated money to her GoFundMe, anything like that. They said, it's just be the best mom you could possibly be. Be a better mom than you thought you were before. And I'm definitely trying to do that. You know, four kids and three boys, it's hard. But Mia Mia is the treasure in our home. She is the one child, you know, you have that one kid that sparks off all the rest of them, you know, that fuels the energy that has that sweet embrace and she's our only girl and she definitely was like that from the get-go when I gave birth to her and um, it's definitely divine and there's just too many experiences I know we're going backwards but I just want to share really quick when the first paramedic that took Mia from Nick from my husband that arrived on scene he later recounted his experience with my father-in-law they awarded all the the first responders and the dispatchers awards like a week after Mia's um, accident. And which was amazing because they all did. I mean, I just, we can't pay it forward enough. You know, if I had a billion dollars, I couldn't pay it forward. But he was telling my father-in-law, my father-in-law was asking really intrusive questions. Like, what were you thinking? And how do you process that? Like you're taking my granddaughter, you saved her life basically. I mean, it's the first step. And he said, you know, are, I, I'm a, I consider myself a man of God. Do you, you know, like it's, tricky, touchy talking about God or religion to some people. And he's like, yeah, sure. And he said, when I took Mia, first of all, I didn't have gloves on and it's California. We always do things with our gloves, right? Like that's the first thing we do. And for some reason I didn't put my gloves on, but I took her 
And I immediately started working on her. And he's like, typically what protocol is, is I hand her off to my partner and he, he does work and they, you know, they trade off their stuff. And he says, I could not let her go. And he said, when mm-hmm. I, when I got her in my arms, he said, I immediately felt the power of God. And then wow. I start working on her and he says, I have my bare hands and I'm, you know, administering CPR and I feel angels and like the power of God. And he said, I would not let her go until I had to hand her off to the doctor, the hospital. And he's like, it's wow. an experience I will never, ever forget that it just, he was like, it was just different. And I would not, I wouldn't stop. And I, tr- and I worked on her the whole way. And, you know, it, I think that's another true testament that just something intervened, not besides the amazing ability of the CPR immediately. Uh, we, we had cold water on our side. That is definitely a factor that plays into child survival from drownings is cold water. Um, hmm, you didn't know that. Yes. So cold water like restricts your blood vessels and it kind of saves the brain a little bit. Um, it's just one of the factors that could help. And then, you know, Nick immediately doing CPR and getting blood to her brain and then that paramedic right. and then the hospital and then allowing her body to heal. And it's just, but there's intervention there that we don't know and understand why we were granted it. And we will find out I'm sure one day or maybe not in this life, but I just, um, yeah, it's every day that she's, she's the reason that I'm a functioning mother today where it feels like I can talk about it openly and, you know, the emotion is still there, but it's not this devastation anymore where it felt like I couldn't get through it without crying. Watching her wake up every day and be the same smiley girl and just the special spirit in our home and her brothers who absolutely love her. And she plays, she just, you know, our kids were just this little close unit and without her. It would just be so hard, but yeah, we're not going to squander this miracle ever. No, <laughs> we'll not talk at about all. it till the day I die. <laughs> yes, and, and bringing so much awareness. I mean, even just talking with yes. me today. I mean, just bringing so much awareness to to other parents who are listening out there, and you know, who, like I said, to prevent something like that from happening to them, mm-hmm. um, and going through something like that. You know, and. Um, you know, one other uh, quick, <clears throat> I think miracle, I like to keep using that word, but is when you, when Mia took her first swim lesson after her accident and that she was, she went in with no fear. She went yeah. into the water and had no fear. And as a therapist, as a, you know, I think, wow, that is so amazing that she has, doesn't even have to conquer that. Like she's moved past I that. I got a um, lot of pushback from that. I got a lot of people messaging me, telling me to keep her away from water for a while. Like, let really? her process. Yes. And, you know, my personality, it, it was just, I wanted to not let this momentum, you know, it was like this miracle momentum that happened and I wasn't going to stop it. I was going to continue it. And we put her in ISR and that girl looks forward to going swimming every single day. And if she could stay in longer, she absolutely would. And that's a miracle in itself that we're getting her confident in water and strong and she'll know how to, you know, save herself basically. And that we're not scared of water and we're teaching our kids the safety. It's just, we have to keep going forward. We cannot ever go backwards. We can't live in the fear. We can't live in the, the, the anxiety of what if we have to move, we have to jump over that and say, no, it's not a what if anymore. It's now what, you know, it's, she fell in the pool. Now she knows how to save herself. We are hyper vigilant of water safety and who's watching kids and what doors are locked and double checking and making sure we're staying at places that we're aware of where their pool safety stuff is in place, because that's my responsibility. You know, I, 
we can't leave it up to everybody else to to check their own balances you know exactly it's, exactly that's what the accident was yeah, exactly. And and like you had mentioned, people, you know, when, when you have a story that goes viral like yours did, you know, and, and people are, you know, <laughs> thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people are going to give their, you know, advice, you know, they're, mm-hmm. you know, you had tons of people praying for her. And then you may have some yeah. people that, you know, maybe were, were saying some negative things or giving their opinion. And mm-hmm. you just have to do you, you just have to do what's best for your family um, and, and your child. And you will, you know what that is, you know, um, yeah you know, you're, when, when things like that happen, there's always going to be some negativity, um, surrounded by it. Um, I know even, I think you had to deal with CPS at one point, which that's a whole nother story. And I can't even imagine having to deal with that (laughs) on top of, you know, having your daughter in a coma who you're not even sure is going to make it. And then you have that. I just, I can't even imagine what you went through, but, um, you know, but, but, you know, like you said, listening to the positive, the people who are being positive, the positive messages and, um, the you know, prayers. Use- people would post yes. their prayers in the comments and I would read those and it would just lift me up. And it wasn't even, it was just them, their thoughts and their, the way that they would pray that that's amazing. I've never thought to do that, but I will forever do that for anything that I ever see that come across where someone's asking for prayers. I will, I will write my prayer in the comments because I would read those at night when I couldn't fall asleep. Because your prayers sound consistent, you know, they sound monotonous. It's like you can't say it any other way. And to, to hear someone else's religion or someone else's culture or someone else's thoughts pray for your daughter was just, that is just amazing. It's something I'll never forget. And I'm glad I have imprinted in my phone forever. Yes, absolutely. Well, speaking of which, where can people um, follow you to continue following your story and Mia's story? And where can they find you online? I'm on Instagram. My name is Fiercely Aaliyah, which was way before this ever happened. So people, yes. <laughs> I guess, premonition, right? Um, and right. I have a highlight. I have a highlight called Mia's Drowning, and that's where I saved it all. You can read the story, the how, from the second she found the pool until it's where we are today, basically. And I also have an ISR highlight where people, you know, there's just not enough education out there about ISR. And then also the statistic i feel like i'm trying to figure out a way to advocate for our pediatrics health association to notify parents oh your child just turned one well did you know the number one cause of drowning or cause of death is drowning you know just telling us without having to be like what it sound like a conspiracy theory or are you not knowing this information until it happens we're so worried about screen times and sugar and everything else but really the number one killer of our kids is was drowning and it's not just pools it could be two feet of water it could be a bathtub it could be a washing machine it could be any it could be the the side of your house where there's a ditch of water i mean the stories and the things that i'm now aware of it's just we need more education and i definitely like i said i can't squander this miracle i also can't squander the responsibility that i've been given to help others just know so that we can prevent even one future drowning will just be enough for me Exactly. And and that being said, statistically, the summer months, May through August, um, yes. account for two thirds of annual childhood drowning incidents. So, um, you know, we should be talking about it all the time, um, all the time. not just around this time, um, like you yeah. said, but um, but just, you know, I think sharing your story and bringing awareness um, will, will save a life. I, I hope just this episode alone will help save a life. If not, you just share, you know, continuing sharing your story and, um, and me is such a miracle. And I'm just 
so thankful uh, for you to, sh- to be here today and to share your story and her story. Um, so thank you so much. Um, and I know, I know we're making a difference. I know hopefully we will save a life. Thank you. Thank you for having me for real. <laughs> of course. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.